Welcome to the Cutting Games Podcast. On today's episode, we are super happy to feature our conversation with Frio's Gourmet Pops president, Patty Rother. Frio's Gourmet Pops, serving gourmet popsicles, started in the tiny garage years ago, and the goal of the company is pretty simple, to hustle happiness and leave people better than they found them. That is a pretty spectacular goal, and they do it all out of tie-dye food trucks, which is pretty spectacular in and of itself. It was so much fun today to chronicle Patty's journey through the restaurant space from her time at two iconic brands, Panera and Noodles and & Company, into franchise sales and development, into her current role as president of Frias. But rooted in all of that is Patty's desire to develop people and build high-performing teams. We know you'll enjoy this conversation with Patty as she tells her story and the journey she is on with Frias Gourmet Pops and what the future looks like for this exciting brand. So here's the conversation with Frio's Gourmet Pops president, Patty Rother. Enjoy it, and we'll see you on the other side. I'm Patty Rother, currently the president at Frio's Gourmet Pops, which is um, an emerging brand mobile-based franchise. We sell popsicles out of tie-dye vans, uh, super happy, awesome. joyful brand. Um, I've been with them since December, consulted for a while before that for them. And then previous to that, um, I've been in franchising a really long time and kind of one of those people that stumbled into it. I've done everything from franchise development and sales to construction design, um, project management, and then everything having to do with operations that you can imagine. So training and new restaurant opens and developing folks, uh, mostly in the restaurant space. That's really exciting. That's a lot of different hats to be wearing throughout your career. I mean, what is the thing that kind of drew you to, I guess, operations really like, like, you know, what was that thing that kind of made you say, I want to do this part of it? Cause you've done a lot of different things. Yeah. So operations was the, the first role that I really got involved with. And I had pretty much always worked in restaurants just as, you know, the job to pay the bills, the job to have some cash in my pocket when I was younger um, and so really started with just local restaurants in my area, uh, had no idea what franchising was. So did everything from hostessing to bartending to waitressing and busing tables. And when I was in college, there was a Panera Bread that was opening. And in order to keep paying my bills, I got a job at the local Panera Bread. And it happened to be owned by the String Corporation, which is a franchisee group out of Philly, New Jersey area um, on the East Coast. And it was their grand opening. So I came on kind of pre-grand opening, got all my training done. And then the String family came in for grand opening. And that was really my first introduction to franchising, that this family could own a Panera Bread. And it was something that was a you know, a brand that people knew about, and yet it was their business. And it kind of blew my mind. Um, I ended up working at the Panera Bread all through college. And then I actually started pursuing my master's because I really wanted to be an art therapist for kids and kind of always kept a restaurant job because the uh, master's degree didn't obviously pay anything, but neither really did the the work that I had to do on the side. So I used to work with kiddos aged three to 12 um, that had just different behavioral things happening um, for a mobile therapist. And 
it, it paid pennies compared to just a real job. So kept that job and started working my way up through the ranks. So eventually became a shift manager um, and decided I wanted to move. So I was still in Pennsylvania at the time and I was going to move to Colorado and there was a Panera Bread out here. And I just called them up and said, hey, any chance you need a shift manager? And they did. And I started working for a different franchisee called Breads of the World out here in Colorado. And again, just kind of kept working my way up through the ranks and realized at some point that I was really enjoying the work I was doing and not so much the work that I was trying to get into. Sure. Realized that my passion kind of laid elsewhere and that my passion for kiddos and those marginalized was something that I could do in my life without having it have to be my career, essentially. Right. Um, I've always loved just the pace of restaurants and the amount of people and, um, you know, training and, and identifying leaders within your ranks and pulling them up through um, was something I was super passionate about. So stayed at Panera Bread for a really long time and then stayed in the restaurant industry, again, just kind of climbing up through the ranks slowly but surely, um, taking on more and more. So you, you were life. at Panera and went to Noodles and became director of franchise sales and operations. So some of, you, some of those changes in life is, is what we like to talk about and focus on because it's those leaps of faith and those can I do it moments. And so kind of talk about that, if you would, like what made you, number one, maybe say, I can do this and I want to do this. And what was that like? Yeah. So at Noodles, I ended up in a position where I was running the busiest location, um, kind of in the whole fleet. And it was during the time that Noodles was planning to go public. So we had a ton of investors and bankers and board members and obviously leadership team all in my restaurant all of the time because it was busy and it showed well and it was close to the main office. And so I started to really get exposure to those types of people. Mm -hmm. Um, while being able to show off kind of all the hard work that we had done at this particular restaurant. And at the same time, the VP of franchising was bringing all these potential franchisees to tour our locations. Um, and he would really just say, you know, this is Patty, she's the GM, she'll, she'll walk you around. And I really didn't think anything of it at the time, um, but he was really the one that went to bat for me to take on a role at the corporate office, which was, so strange to go from yeah. operating yeah. restaurants and being right. on your feet all day to all of a sudden sitting at a desk. Um, but he went to bat for me and really told the leadership team, like she knows what she's doing. She can be incredibly impactful to the franchisees and their operations, but also she gets sales. And because I had been doing it, I could talk shop with them, which was a little bit different than your right. traditional salesperson. Right. So that's really what I did. And I didn't, at the time, really think of it as sales it was just kind of telling a story and walking them through the restaurant and talking about kind of the opportunities and the things that we had done and why we were so successful. Um, so it was really that one person that had faith in me uh, and said, you can absolutely do this. I will say the first couple of trips out to visit franchisees and like coach them and walk through their restaurants and, you know, doing Opsivales, I was I think I was like 23, um, you know, coaching 50 year old men yeah. on how to do better. <laughs> so it was certainly intimidating. And I definitely had to figure out, you know, where to pull up that confidence right. from and know that I could 
help them, you know, generate more revenue or reduce their costs. And that's what we find a lot is in people's stories, right? It's that one person that saw something in me that I didn't see in myself or believed in me. And, you know, it's, it's so impactful in my career. And, and I, I think that's, again, for Bobby and I, that's why we do this podcast and, and what we do is because that impact on others that we get the opportunity to have that, you know, Bobby shared uh, something uh, with, with me a few months ago that he received a letter from somebody from years prior about how impactful he was in their, in their career. And it's like, man, that's when you feel like sometimes what, why do I do what I do? It's, it's those moments that, that keep you going, I think. And I think that's why I was so drawn to the restaurant space for so long is because you know, you have these folks come in and they're on the cash register and you start having conversations with them about what their aspirations are, what their dreams are, what are they studying in college? Um, you know, you get to know whether they have kiddos or not and the ability to train people and mentor them yeah. and, you know, help them achieve those goals. I think still one of the proudest moments of my career is when I did get promoted to that manager of franchise sales and operations. My, one of my assistant managers got promoted to GM. One of my shift managers got promoted to assistant. And then I had two team members who got promoted to shift manager. So this huge pipeline of people that I had built over time, you know, I got to walk away from my restaurant knowing 100% that it was still gonna just keep on keeping on without me because of the work I had put into other people. Um, and that was something that always drew me to restaurants because of that ability to really, you know, whether it was they want to be a manager or they want to be a doctor, I wanted to help them get to where they were going. I think you've touched on something there that that is really important. And I've just written down some notes here as you've been talking. And that's uh, why I'm not talking very much because you're like saying it all. It's amazing. Uh, one, I love that you called out to the Panera franchisee and asked if they needed a shift manager. I love that. And I'm glad the answer was yes, because if it would have been no, they'd been lying, right? We all need great shift managers, uh, for sure. Um, and it really is about story. And uh, I'm reading a book right now, um, actually about story. And it's one that uh, I've read a bunch of times, but it's called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years. And, um, you know, the arc of someone's story and seeing where they've been and what you mentioned patty which is to sit down and understand their hopes and dreams and what they want and and there's nothing more magic than having a conversation where you're sitting across from someone and you know you're hearing that for the first time from them right sometimes sometimes it's something that maybe they've never said out loud before right because no one's taken the time to really understand where they're coming from and uh that's just so incredibly powerful and in this book I'm reading, um, you know, story is, is it's a character who wants to achieve something and has to overcome great obstacles to get it, right? And, and that's what makes a story meaningful. And we all have that in our own lives, right? We've all overcome certain things. Um, and, and so I just applaud you for that. And, and I know Noodles well. I think you worked with some of my friends there, uh, probably during that time as well, Phil Petrilli and, and uh, you know, a few other people. Yeah. Uh, and. And I know a lot of those, a lot of those leaders that that kind of grew up with me at Chipotle, uh, mm -hmm. where you know that was really the culture that we had, and and uh, you know um, 
really understanding that your job as a leader is to develop people who are as good or might even be better than you, right? And that's that's where the magic really is, right? Is when you're enlightened enough to to understand that 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 that's really your role. That's your number one job is to develop the people around you. Right. And get out of their way. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you're not we're not the most important part of that equation, right? It's it's exactly. it's just the way that we actually invest in them. Um, so I think that's really incredible. And, uh, you know, I think it's also pretty cool that you realize that while you still have a passion for helping kids and, you know, art therapy and all those things that you can also still do that too. And I think, I think sometimes, especially in the restaurant industry, we can become so singularly focused on something, right. And, and, and that's the other part of this, right. Because part of, part of what we talk about, and we haven't talked about it a lot, but it's probably something we sh- that we should do more of here is this whole aspect of uh, self-care and, and making sure that we as leaders in this industry, because this is high pressure, high pressure, high pressure, um, you know, and it can sometimes become overwhelming for us as leaders. And we need to have those outlets that, that we're able to pour ourselves into so that we can actually become even better leaders, you know, and I don't think we really spend a lot of time talking about that, but it sounds like you have some other interest outside of what you do in the restaurant world um, that are really important to you. Yeah, I would definitely say relaxing is not one of my superpowers. I have a <laughs> really hard time like doing the things that maybe quote unquote would be considered self-care. Um, we, we live in a beautiful place. We live in Colorado. We have a beautiful home. Um, gardening is one of the things that I do to kind of relax my mind. Um, if there's nothing more satisfying than putting a seed in the ground and then tending it and watching it grow. Um, I have a six and a half year old, so she loves the fruits and the veggies and kind of seeing that whole process happen. So it's even more fun now that we have a kiddo involved. Um, and then I just, I read a lot. I read a lot of fiction books and I disappear into the characters and the story. And that's kind of the way that I check out of my brain for a while. Um, and, you know, just being outdoors, Colorado is just full of ways to get outside and kind of use your body, um, which helps me also get out of my mind a little bit, which is a good thing. Well, it, it's amazing listening to your story and at such a young age, realizing that the more you put into your people and help them grow, the better you are, your company is, and then listening to, you know, your uh, passion for like you say, putting a seed in the ground and watching it grow and nurturing it. For me, that connection, you know, shows your personality and your, you know, care for for people and for things. And, and, and you know, that's amazing. So um, I just want to kind of, if you would, maybe kind of finish your journey to where you are now. You looks like you rest, you left the restaurant business a little bit and then found your way back and currently president of uh, Frio's Gourmet Pops. So kind of take us through the rest of that and, and what you're doing now. And can I interrupt real quick before she does that? Yeah. And then you can punch me in the arm later, Miles. Um, so I love the story about how you got promoted to that first role, that first out of the restaurant role, right? That first kind of multi-unit role, not multi-unit, but kind of that first executive type mm-hmm. role. I love that you were coaching people and you were like telling that story about, hey, here's how you operate at Panera. Here, here's, here's what I do. Here's what we've done, right? 
Yeah, I'm just trying to put myself in the mind of a of a of a uh, somewhat skeptical franchisee because I know you dealt with them. You had to. I know you did. So, because what they want to know is, okay, that's all great. Now, tell me the real story. Like, tell me about how hard it was. Tell me about what it actually took to get to this point because everyone loves seeing the result. But but how did you how did you navigate that? Because that is part of the story, for sure. Yeah, I honestly feel like because. So I was young. I, I usually look younger than I am already. So they probably thought it was like teenager or something. Um, but they also knew what I had just achieved. Sure. So because noodles always shared, um, you know, top sales and S you know, same store sales and all of the numbers, they would see my restaurant at the top of that list over and over and over and over again. So I did have that credibility at least. Nice where I would walk in and be like, listen, that's my restaurant that was topping the list for the last two years. Maybe I have something to say that might help you. I also think because I came in and was really just unassuming and didn't have the posture or the ego that maybe people prior had visited them with, that was 100% to my advantage. Um, and I hadn't been trained. <laughs> like I kind of just got thrown in like you're gonna go see these people, and here's you know the thing that you have to fill out, and which is kind of the best thing though. It makes it really exactly authentic, it, right? Because nobody was like, "This is the way that you do this," and here's how you have to speak to them and make sure they don't bully you, and all of those things. I just walked in and was like, "All right, let's check this out." Like, hey, I'm Patty. And, I'm here to you know just have a conversation oh, with you. Yeah, I'm, yeah. A I'm lot of help. what I would do is, hey, you know, I noticed your labor line seems to be really high comparable to your average weekly sales. What are you doing to keep that in line? What is it that you're struggling with? And so they would just tell their story. And instead of saying, well, you should do this, this, and this, a lot of what I said was I've seen it, you know, get resolved by doing this, or, you know, one of the GMs I knew would do this for turnover or this for training or this to keep her prep people. And so it was a lot of just storytelling kind of back to your point and less, you know, coaching and dictating, which right. I think is so important when you're dealing with franchisees. And at the time I had no idea that that was the case. Right. Um, right. It was just me being me. And I think what was really interesting is, you know, noodles had somewhat of a unique franchising experience. So Aaron Kennedy, the original founder had franchised right away. And so we had these like five legacy franchisees that had been doing it forever and had really been part of noodles from the beginning and a lot of the decision-making process and really involved. And then they put a halt on it um, kind of as new leadership came in. When I came on board, they had just relaunched sales. So now we were getting all this fresh blood and all these really big franchisees. Ironically, the Strain Corporation <laughs> became a franchisee. Really? Um, which was so funny. They walked in to the office and I was like, I know you. And this was years later. And they were like, no, there's no way. I'm like, I totally know you and I'm going to figure it out. And halfway through the restaurant tours, I was like, oh my gosh, I worked at your Panera Bread when you opened it in Exton, Pennsylvania. And they were like, how on earth did that happen? Um, but so then we have this whole new wave of franchisees um, and you know everything was shifting. So the legacies were like kind of burnt out and a little bit bitter and had kind of just been dragged along and not paid much attention to. And then kind of the new 
fancy, shiny franchisees were coming in and getting all this attention. So what was really interesting was how my visits and then my team really changed the perception of franchising at Noodles. It became you know, less of the redheaded stepchild and more of an integral part of the company. Right. And because I had a seat at the table now, decisions were being made and including how does this impact our franchisees? What are the franchisees going to do? Is it an opt-in, opt-out situation? Or are we forcing this on them? Like what, you know, having all of those conversations where in the past they just weren't being had. And so I think because the franchisees saw me going to bat for them and understood that I was just another human trying to help them, um, it, it really opened up my eyes to the possibility of what those relationships could look like. And again, I think because I had no formal training, even in the sales process, that VP that brought me on board ended up leaving nine months later. And they were like, oh, Patty can just do that. And I was like, I guess I'll figure it out. Um, so same thing on the sales side. Like I never was taught how to do a sales call and what kind of script I should use. And so it was just myself on the phone and it ended up working really well. I love that. I, I, uh, you know, it's funny as often happens on these podcast interviews, we have a pre-conversation before we jump into the actual conversation and miles and I were on this morning and we we're talking about this very thing about getting credibility with franchisees. Right. And because you were an operator, because you were in the trenches, because you understand that world, that gives you a totally different level of credibility than somebody who's hired off the street, who comes in with a lot of other experience, I'm using my air quotes, experience, right? That isn't necessarily relevant to how they operate their restaurants on a day-to-day -day basis. The other thing I love about that story, and then I promise we'll get to Miles' question, is that when you sat down and you were telling the story but then let them tell their story back. Sometimes, I, I learned this years ago from a, just an incredible boss at Chipotle who, he was the king of just asking questions. Like he just would ask questions mm -hmm. and he'd let me kind of fumble my way through it, right? And then by the end of that conversation, I, I usually knew what I needed to do. Right. Like I usually knew the answer to the question, right? Yeah. Sometimes it didn't happen right that second. It was a couple of days later and I'd call, I'd call my boss Matt back and say, hey Matt, I'm like, I'm gonna go do this, 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 and this. It was exactly what he had asked me about and he never told me anything. He just, he let me work through it. And I, I think that's what great leaders do is they ask questions that get people talking. And by the, sometimes at the end of the conversation, they're like, yeah, I know how to fix this problem with turnover, or I know how to fix this problem with cost of goods sold or, or, you know, with whatever labor management, you know? So I just think that's a really cool thing that you did. And a lot, a lot of leaders don't get that. And I just think that's really important. So nice job. Nice job. All right, Miles. Now back to your question. Yeah. What was it? Um, so, so yeah, so, so the story kind of taking you through, you know, from, uh, you know, you went to Garbanzo and then kind of out of the restaurant business and then, you know, where you're, where you're currently at, um, kind of take us through that journey and then, you know, what you're doing now and, um, you know, low investment, easy to operate, um popsicles out here in vegas sound like a great deal so maybe off off podcast <laughs> to talk about that but uh kind of take us through your journey rest of your journey yeah so i stayed at noodles for a, a pretty long time ended up running that department um and then noodles went through a rough patch um those quarterly calls became pretty painful um and it was 
definitely a little scary to be in the corporate office while that was happening. And there were some pretty big layoffs. And again, I was still pretty young, kind of had never experienced that before. Um, so started just poking around, seeing if I should maybe consider another position with another company. Um, and I found Garbanzo, they were an emerging brand, which I loved and a really small team. And they were actually looking for a franchise ops person and a franchise salesperson. And the CEO at the time was like, which one do you want? Because you can either, you can do either. Um, and because ops, I felt like was so ingrained in me at that point. I'd been in, you know, restaurant operations for so long, kind of felt like I could do it someone in my sleep, not from like an arrogant point, but just, it wasn't challenging enough for me. Um, I chose sales because I still felt like I had so much to learn and so much opportunity to get better. Um, so I took on the sales role and the sales role really did become more of a development role. So I handled a lot of real estate side by side with our brokers, um, the whole project management piece, construction design. Um, I had no idea about any of that, but I did you know, construct things when I was a kid and worked with contractors. I've done like a lot of random stuff. Um, and then really loved just design in general and architecture. So had educated myself just through interest and hobby. So it worked out. Um, and I had been part of new restaurant opens and that whole team. So I understood permitting and working with GCs and all of the delays that could happen because I had sure. experienced it just on the opposite side of operations. And so I really led the development <laughs> team. It was so interesting to work with an emerging brand. And I realized that I really love that space. I love the startup phase and kind of the challenges and wearing multiple hats and being super scrappy and, you know, having a small budget and having to get really creative about how you use it <laughs> and really strategic. Yes. Um, so I spent my time there and it wasn't a long time before uh, Blink Fitness started reaching out to me. And I had never been out of the restaurant space. Like I said, I'd had random odd jobs and things, but really the restaurant space was what I had known. Um, and the VP of franchise development at Blink Fitness found me and kept talking to me. Um, she was really awesome. I had never worked for a woman up until this point, which is kind of crazy. Um, and so that was really intriguing, like to have a female boss for a change and more females around me in a mostly male dominated industry. And so it became super interesting. I flew to New York to visit the team and kind of do the group interviews and really fell in love with the brand, which was surprising to me because fitness in general. I mean, I remember I told the CEO during my interview, I can't believe they hired me anyway, but I basically was like, I kind of think gyms are awful and gross and like <laughs> push this idea that everyone has to have these perfect bodies. And you know, the like fake mist that they put so that the models look like they're sweating. Like I just cannot stand it. Um, but blink was very different. They were pushing this idea of a gym for everybody. And that meant every body shape and every type and every gender and every, you know, race, you name it, you're welcome here. So it's exactly what they wanted to hear. Probably it's exactly yeah. the perspective they needed was someone who wasn't coming in to make this, whatever other gym you want to mention. Right. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, um, really loved their perspective was very skeptical that they actually, you know, did what they said or lived what they said. Um, 
So I, I took a long time to figure out if that's where I wanted to go and ultimately made the decision. Um, I grew up in New York uh, for a lot of my life. So visiting New York every other week was actually kind of awesome. I could see my brother and my mom and all my high school friends. And so really loved the fact that I got to travel to the main office um, and really fell in love with that team. And the membership model was just so interesting, like blew my mind to look at a PL where membership was involved instead of like, I give you a bowl of noodles and you give me cash. Um, so just super got super interested in membership models in general, membership models and franchising, um, how that changes a franchisee's opportunity to within the business and stayed there until March, 2020 when the world something happened. Yeah. something happened. Yeah. Um, so when the pandemic happened, Blink, most of our locations, corporate locations were in New York and LA. And then obviously we had franchisees kind of all over. Um, but Blink made the decision to close our gyms before it was mandated um, out of safety for everybody. So it was around like the first week of March that at the end of the week that we decided to close everything. And then by the end of that month, nearly all of us were furloughed because business was just completely halted. Mm -hmm. um, and especially like we're not selling franchises during a pandemic for a gym concept that can't even stay open. Um, so for me, remember when I said relaxing is not my superpower, I was like, what does one do? I have never not worked. Like since I was, you know, 13 babysitting or mowing lawns or I've never not worked. And so my whole world was like turned upside down. I had no idea who I was. I went through like a whole existential crisis. Um, my wife, did many of us. you're not alone. You're not alone. Yeah. In that. My wife did not know what to do with me. And ironically, we had just bought our house. Um, so I basically spent the whole summer, like landscaping our entire yard, <laughs> um, just to keep myself busy. But it was the whole summer had essentially gone by. And at one point my wife was like, what are we doing here? Like, are you going to start looking for a job? What are you thinking? Do you think right. Blink's going to eventually call you and say, we're back in business? Um, and that was really where I was like, oh, I should probably, yeah, do that. So I, <laughs> by that time, I had built an incredible network in franchising um, for a couple different reasons. But I think, you know, even when I started, which was like over 15 years ago now, um, I was oftentimes the only female in the room definitely the only person under like 40 at the time. And I was in my twenties. Um, so it definitely stood out and people noticed me. And so I could talk and build relationships and network pretty easily because of that. And so I started posting on LinkedIn, like, Hey, I'm open for work. Let me know if you have anything, put me in touch. Um, and pretty quickly, like recruiters and headhunters were reaching out to me, which was incredible. And that's how I found Sentound. So another emerging brand, another membership-based concept, uh, never thought I would work in the pet industry or with dogs, and especially not dog grooming, um, but really interesting company. And they had a really interesting like future plan that I was very much um, tied into. Like I wanted to be a part of the vision that the CEO had. Um, and so I was there for a while and really building up their franchise development process, kind of working through all of that. Um, most of the leadership didn't have like strictly franchise experience. So bringing on somebody who had some background in it was helpful just in general for the brand. 
And we slowly started expanding and did really well in franchise sales. Um, you know, in Blink, we had sold, I think, 140 in like less than two years. And at Sentown, we ended up selling almost 100 um, in that kind of second half wow. of my time there. And um, I, I was speaking at a lot of conferences. So people were seeking me out to like lead sessions or, you know, uh, lead a panel or be on a panel. And that's where Cliff Kennedy saw me for the first time. So Cliff is the CEO of Frios. And I think it was during the time where conferences were still virtual mm -hmm. and I led like a breakout session or I was on a panel. I don't remember what conference it was, but he um, saw me for the first time and was like, that's who I want to run my company. Um, Cliff is very much like a gut instinct guy and made this decision before he ever spoke to me. And so he started reaching out and showing up and, you know, going to the conferences I was going to and sitting in on my panels and finally introduced himself and basically said like, Hey, I'm Cliff. I want you to run my company. And I was like, what? Like, I don't know. That's amazing. I love it. Yeah. And he had definitely had conversations with other folks in the franchising industry. Like, tell me what you know about Patty Rother. Um, and so for a long time, I just kind of brushed him off. Cause I was like, I don't know you. I don't know your company. That sounds crazy that you want me to run your company. Like another one of those moments in your career where you're like, I can't do that. I can't run a company. Um, and he was very, very persistent and he has some, um, pretty awesome people on his board that he had me talk to and started definitely utilizing his connections. And I started talking to a lot of my mentors and colleagues in the franchising space. Like, what do you think of this? Um, here's what I know. And so to help me make the decision, I decided to consult with them for about 60 days. And I said, Hey, I'll jump in. I'll look at your business. I'll see what I see. I'll give you suggestions. Um, and then I'll make a decision within 60 days so that I don't waste your time. And, and I don't waste mine essentially. Um, and it was really like 30 days in where I was totally hooked and loved the concept and the idea of it and the potential of it. I think the thing that attracted me the most was I had always worked for these pretty high investment businesses. Um, so I was looking at people's financials and was like, how do people have this much money? Right? Like yeah, just, right. You, you have to have so much to be able to build a restaurant or build a gym. And obviously you're, you're signing on to build multiple of them. Um, right. even send towns were, were pretty costly because we were selling multi-unit. Um, and what was so interesting about Frios was their franchisees were just normal everyday people. They were moms and nurses and teachers and vets. Um, we had some Gen Zs and some millennials because it's so affordable. And so for the folks that want a side hustle or want to do something fun or looking to retire and want something to kind of carry them through, Frios kind of answered that call so perfectly. Um, and I'm a total nerd about franchising. I totally believe in the model. I think it's so awesome that people can build wealth for themselves in this way with less risk and you know brand awareness and all of those things. Um, and so I wanted to work for a company that made that a possibility for people that otherwise wouldn't have had that opportunity. That's amazing. It really is. So you've and been I love that it's so, Oh yeah, I'm sorry, Miles, go ahead. So you've been there six months? Something yeah, December first is when I officially started. Okay, and so you know, let's six months in. What are some of the things maybe that uh, you feel like you're you're proud of, and then kind of what's the next 
12, 24 months hold for the company? Yeah. So what Frios really had already was a really firm foundation in the, the popsicle itself, the product itself, um, and the company. So Cliff had actually bought it from the original founders after being a franchisee about three years ago. Um, Cliff and the original COO just had no experience in franchising. So they were really figuring it out as they went along, which sometimes works really well and sometimes can be somewhat detrimental because franchise law is a tricky one. So um, there were some things that needed writing yeah. when I came on board um, and some franchisees in the system that really didn't know what it was like to be in a franchise system because there really wasn't a whole lot of support and assets and you know, sure, sure. the reason you get into franchising is because right. you have all this support behind you. And so a lot of them were trying to just figure it out and impressively so figuring it out really, really well and doing well for themselves. Um, so Cliff really brought me on board because he admitted, you know, I've taken this company as far as I can and I, I need someone who knows franchising to take it the rest of the way. So a lot of what we've been doing is building that infrastructure of support for the franchisees. Um, so we went through a whole kind of brand sprint and looked at the brand and really honed in like, what's our message? What's our, what's our purpose and our vision and our mission? And what are we here to do? Um, what does our brand look like, feel like, how do we speak and really locking that in, um, presenting that back to the franchisees and starting to build like an asset library around that. And that was something that our head of marketing did, um, that I think our whole team is super proud of. I think really figuring out why we exist was really important too, because you ask everyone and there's a different story, but the one thing that 100% resonated or like the thread that kind of was throughout everyone's um, explanation was happiness and joy, happiness and joy and fun, um, just over and over and over again. So really deciding what, what does that look like? How do we tangibly explain that to people? Um, and showcase that whether it's in our photography or in our voice or on our website. And so figuring out all of that took a while. And then at the same time, just increasing communication with the franchisees. So we launched monthly brand calls, which is not something they had had with an actual agenda and a follow-up email. Um, we built up our team. So when I started, there were you know, three people on the leadership team. Um, now we have a full leadership team and every seat is, is full, which is really, really incredible, especially in the current landscape, right? Where finding people is really challenging. So absolutely. that's something I'm absolutely proud of because I do feel like we have the right people, they're in the right seats and they're doing the right things. Um, and then, you know, really relaunching the franchise sales process. So making sure not only that we know who we are, but then who are who do we want to be part of this family? Um, and really being strategic around that. And like I said, this is so attractive to so many different types of people and different walks of life. We're focusing so much on making sure that we afford this opportunity to as many different types of people as possible. So focusing on diversity and inclusion and making sure that we think through like the words in our ads and the way that we speak so that it's not seemingly bias against a group of people that otherwise would want to be in our system. So really, really being intentional about all of that um, is kind of what we've been focusing on. Do you find you have more single unit franchisees or do you have multiple or? Yeah. So the majority of all of our owners are single unit. Um, okay. 
some of them add on after the fact. So we do have some multi-units with sure. multiple vans and multiple territories. Um, and we're starting to start the story of like, you can do this multi-unit. You can sign on for two or three from the get-go right. and really own a territory. Um, but that's a very different type of franchisee we're attracting. So trying to balance that as well. That makes sense. And in terms of, of just the model, like, does it, is it working all year round? Do you find that there's a need for this all year round or is it certain times of the year that are more high, high volume? How does that work? Yeah, there's definitely seasonality and obviously going to be based a lot on geography. Um, So our franchisee in Detroit, Michigan, for sure, has turned off, you know, January, February is usually the time that our franchisees can take time off and do more like admin and planning for the year ahead and less events. Absolutely. Um, The folks in like Texas and Florida stay pretty darn busy throughout the year, um, but still take advantage of the slower time. January, February, um, we usually say like, it's, it's kind of awesome because most entrepreneurs don't get time off. Right. That's not a luxury that a lot of us have when we're owning businesses. And so we talk about it as a positive, um, you know, you already get so much flexibility with our brand time with your family. You know, you get to see your kids games. A lot of what people are seeking today is time missed. I think that's what the pandemic taught us so much of is, I just have missed so much because I'm sitting at this desk all day long or I'm traveling too much or, you know, what have you. So you get the flexibility of being around more because you're just working events. You're not like sitting in a storefront waiting for people to come in. And then you get, you know, a slower time where you get to choose whether you're in business or not, like go on that vacation you want to go on, um, do the things that you otherwise wouldn't be able to do throughout the year. I think that's huge. Uh, you know, the part of the organization that I'm in, or the organization that I'm a part of has a frozen custard component, but it's not a, it's not a mobile experience. And so it's a storefront and it's tricky here in the Midwest. I'm in Kansas city where you really only have maybe five, six months out of the year where, I mean, it's a big deal. It's warmer. People love custard, whatever. But I think what you have is so unique in that it's all mobile, right? It's, and I think that, that, that is really, really, really cool. So. Yeah, it definitely changes that cost structure too, right? You have very little overhead. It's really just the cost of the van. And most of our franchisees are just paying that off over time through financing. And so sure, totally different. Frios actually did start as a storefront. We still have a few um, across the country and some of our kind of older territories with our legacy franchisees. And a lot of them now, because they have the vans, we also do push carts um, and wholesale accounts. They just use their store as the hub, really. Like sure. park their van in the back and plug yeah, it in. Yeah, it's like a ghost kitchen. It's it. like a ghost kitchen for a restaurant. Yeah. Yeah, and they're still selling pops in the front, but if they don't have business that day because it's cold and stormy and snowing, um, they still have wholesale accounts generating revenue and they might still do, you know, an event at a Christmas tree farm or something, because shockingly people still want popsicles. Sometimes we do really fun winter flavors like frozen hot chocolate and peppermint dipped and all kinds of fun things. So, um, a lot of our franchisees actually stay pretty busy through the holidays. See Patty, this is the problem. We do these podcasts and then and then Miles and I want to go buy a franchise. So that's, that's, like, that's how I'm sitting here looking at we're, the, we're just sitting here going, this sounds amazing. You know? <laughs> 
How is your distribution to Vegas? That's what I need to know. <laughs> We're working on it. We're working on it. We just signed our first franchisee in Arizona. So getting closer and closer. That's actually one of our biggest, you know, I guess hurdles right now is all of our popsicles are still hand poured and handmade in Mobile, Alabama. We have an incredible production team run by um, Olivia, who is amazing, um, our head of production and shipping. And we're still doing it all there, which we're super proud of and we don't want to change. But we're relying on UPS right now to ship everything for us out of that facility. We don't have our own distribution quite yet. We're not quite big enough, although that definitely is in the future. Um, and we, you know, pack in coolers and pack it with dry ice and hope for the best. Um, we do have franchisees outside of that two day shipping zone where we're just packing up more dry ice. And as long as UPS does what they need to do, they get there. But there's nothing sadder than opening up a box and cooler of just melted popsicles. Oh, yeah. um, so if a package gets lost, if something gets delayed, um, it gets pretty tricky. So that's definitely our, one of our biggest hurdles. And the other one is trucks. Um, I mean, you all probably know yeah. with ship shortage and trucks not being made and vans being definitely um, high need right now because so many of the service brands are doing really well, um, really having like a consistent van pipeline so that when we do sign new franchisees, they can just get up and running. Um, those are probably the two that we're focusing on solving. Sure, fantastic. I love though that you still have your plant there that you know where you're doing all this work out of. And that is part of the story I think that is super cool. You know, And while eventually you have your own distribution and you'll do some other things, I, I think that can always be a part of your story. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. I was in I was in uh, Mobile last week. I ate at, ate at the Bluegill. I, I if I didn't if we'd have had this call two weeks ago, I'd have come by and toured the plant. You totally could have, and we would have filled you up with some popsicles. I think it's <laughs> odd that I think it's odd that you always have these trips miles around these conversations. I think you're like strategically <laughs> trying to set this up. Which well, it's I, I like your style. I like it. I like it a lot. You know, nicely done i would have, i would have timed it better i would have timed you know uh, right uh, right next time there will be a next time so absolutely uh, i'll put that on my list definitely miles and i put together a list of all these cool cool organizations that we want to go see and uh try try it out uh but it sounds delicious i'm just intrigued with the winter flavors like hot chocolate and so you you have hot chocolate for winter and then you also have what else for winter you have we always change it up. So okay. it, it, we always have seasonal flavors. So every quarter we roll out anywhere from three to four new flavors. And then we have 16 that we call our steady eddies. So the ones that you can always get a hold of like uh, strawberry mango and blueberry cheesecake and key lime pie. Um, you have but a, a lot of the chocolate dip strawberry, like a chocolate. We, we don't. So dipping something frozen in chocolate and then ha having the chocolate actually state stuck to it during the whole process is actually really difficult. So we do have sometimes a chocolate dip cold brew, which is to die for. Um, <laughs> but the second you try and take a bite, like the chocolate wants to fall off. So it's a little challenging to eat, even though it's very delicious. Um, and of course, every inclusion or dip or additional process um, is still hand done. So it takes the production team just that, that much longer. So we try and balance and have you know, kind of the simple poured pops as well as some of the trickier ones. We have a, a nutter butter pop where 
you actually get nutter butters in the popsicle. And so they have to fill all the molds with nutter butter before they pour uh, the popsicle into there it. I am. You had me a nutter butter. That's, <laughs> that's it. That's all I need. That's, yeah. that's awesome. So we do have, you know, some really fun, more, you know, gourmet inclusion pops. Um, right now we just rolled out watermelon, which is like the best ever in the summer. It's just straightforward. It's just watermelon puree with some simple syrup. Um, we had a raspberry peach thyme that our production team innovated for the last LTO, which was amazing. Um, so we're always, you know, our team led by Olivia is always innovating fun, new flavors for our franchisees and keeping it interesting. That sounds really fun. You know, you mentioned this early on in the conversation, and uh, I think it's such an important point. You know, obviously, we all just went through through a life-changing event and just our lives, just overall our lives, personally, professionally. Um, so you have years of experience in franchising. You know how this model works, and and you love it. You know, I mean, you've seen it work. You've seen it be able to change lives, which, which is just so incredibly uh, inspiring and powerful. So what would you say to a, to an entrepreneur, right? And, and again, with your brand, it appeals to so many different people. So no matter if they're a young, young millennial or, or, you know, they're about to retire and they want to do something like, what would you say about the leap in to franchising for them? Like what advice would you offer them? Yeah. I mean, I think what I keep seeing over and over again is what the pandemic really taught most of us was this idea of slowing down that, you know, career and work is not the most important thing. There are so many other important things in our lives, the people around us, our family, our children, what have you, um, even just like being out in nature and enjoying, uh, the outdoors and breathing oxygen and just appreciation for some of those small things that I think we all lost sight of. Um, the thing, you know, that I love about our brand particularly is it's super simple. I mean, I've worked in the restaurant industry where there's multiple, multiple SKUs and a huge cogs line and complicated recipes and multiple steps to get something out onto the tray to serve a guest. And this is literally handing a prepackaged product out a window. Like it could not be simpler. And it's something that you can be proud of and something that, you know, is not the worst for people. You're providing joy and happiness pretty immediately. Um, And the other piece is the flexibility. Like if you don't wanna do an event because your kid has a soccer tournament that day, then you say no. Um, If you do, and your kid wants to join you, you say yes, and you bring your eight-year-old and they have a blast because they're handing out popsicles to people. And so there's a side of this that I think is so like extra interesting coming out of the pandemic more so than maybe it even was before, because it's answering a lot of those calls that people are kind of feeling right now of, I want to spend more time with my people. I want to have more flexibility. I want to decide my own future. Um, Because you're really just event-based, you decide, you know, again, you're not sitting in a storefront and, and waiting for customers to come to you. You're really seeking them out and then booking them. And you know, all right, I'm going to this event. It's a two hour long event. I need this many pops. And then once you're done with the event, you just made a thousand bucks or whatever you did, like you break down and you're done for the day if you choose to be, or you go to the next event. And so because of that flexibility, I think it's so attractive to people. And again, the low cost of entry makes it affordable, right? So folks can come in and 
either take a super small business loan or just do forward financing. It kind of covers most of the investment up front and they're in and they have a small business that they get to run. A lot of our franchisees started doing it just as a side hustle. Uh, we have a lot of franchisees that are in like really important careers. They're engineers or they're doctors, surgeons, and they do this on the side because it's something fun and it's something to generate some side income um, that gives them a lot of joy. So that's something that I really love. And I think for entrepreneurs today, you know, I think back on some of the restaurant industry folks I'd run into, or even in the gym industry, their dog industry, like it's a ton of time that you're putting in to build your business. It's a yeah. ton of time that you're putting in to build your audience, to build your membership base, to get more customers. And it's that constant, you know, grind that you're in to, you know, get more customers to come in, bring their friends, spend more money, all of the things, right? Like right. don't forget to offer the drink because that's a higher ticket. <laughs> and this is so different from that. Like the grind is so different. And I think that's really unique and special. So Patty, you're, you're an amazing salesman because I yes. am interested. <laughs> I, I, yes. So what is that? I never got trained and I just tell you the story and you're hooked. I'm feeling it out right now. I don't know if you can see the, the So what's yet, next so. for Frios? When you look at the next year, the next 18 months, the next two years, obviously I know you're working through some things. You just mentioned some challenges around, you know, how you're going to get the product to the franchisees. But like, what do you see for the future? Yeah, so our number one thing right now is making sure that our franchisees are as successful as possible. So making sure that they're generating as much top line revenue as they would like, because everyone's doing this for a very different reason. So we, um, I've been traveling all over visiting our franchisees. I think it's so important to listen and be face-to-face -face and understand, you know, why they got in in the first place and sure. what they want out of it. Similar to, you know, your employee, right? Knowing their story and their why is so important. And so now that we've gathered a lot of that information, our new director of franchise operations is gonna continue those listening tours. Um, we're really just trying to build the things that they're asking for and needing to generate more business. So fundamentally that's number one goal this year is to really build a franchise system and, and get them into understanding what it's like and the benefits of being part of a franchise system. And the other side of that is obviously franchise sales. So we'd love to double our footprint. We have about 28 vans on the road and around 50 franchisees right now. Um, we'd love to double the vans as long as they continue being built um, and continue just expanding mostly in the Southeast, um, but opportunistically in other markets. Uh, my wife is is one of the people that very much wants to run a Frios van in our neighborhood. She's very like, cool. when can I get my van? Um, <laughs> And so really just trying to expand, but being super strategic about it. I've been right. part of systems where, you know, you all have that group where you're like, what were we thinking? Right. Sure. Like they, they didn't end up being the people with integrity that we thought they were. Right. They're not a great cultural fit. And so we're being very, very intentional about who we attract and who we bring in and how we qualify, because we want to maintain that kind of tight knit family feel. Um, and we have really strong values that we want to make sure align with that person. And so really those are the two, obviously producing as many popsicles as we can um, with supply chain pressure and issues is also just a huge 
uh, focus of ours. So making sure that we just always have weeks and weeks of inventory on hand right. and our production team just stays ahead of it. I think that's so incredibly important what you just said. And, you know, we talked about this a lot. We've had a couple of guests on recently in the franchising world that, you know, we talked about this and I love that you're so focused on making sure that you, that you have franchisees in align with your values. And what we like to say on here, you know, we think it's true is just because you can write a check doesn't mean you should. Right. And if they don't belong in your organization, it doesn't matter how much money they have or how much net worth they have. Um, you know, you don't want to, you don't want that to impact the culture that you have. Yeah. These are definitely long-term relationships. And I've been part of systems where everyone on there on the table is like, oh gosh, here we go. Right. And you're right. like, why, why did we do it in the first place? Because exactly. they had money, right? Or they were impressive and we right. knew they weren't a cultural fit and we did it anyway. And now yep. we're suffering now for right. the franchisees. So yeah. Well, and not to be outdone by miles. I'm just going to share my screen here. I, 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 I too am looking for add some information here. So I love is, it. This is super, super cool. That's it's such super a, fun. A, you know, we is. have so many I mean, of our franchisees that say, you know, like, they have on. other businesses or other things that they're doing. And they're like, I never get yelled at. I've right. never been yelled at handing a popsicle to somebody. I've never had a bad day on the truck. Like but, it's just impossible. It's so cool. It's so cool. I, I, I just love, I just love what you're doing. Uh, and you know, we just think it just fits in so well with the ethos of what we talk about here every week, which is about the culture that you need to build a great organization. And it's clear that you're, that you're helping to create that. So congrats. Thank you. I have a really amazing team helping me do so. I definitely think we should, uh, you know, put it, put it on the calendar to, to check in and, nine months or you know 12 months and see how the journey's going either that or bobby and i will be showing up at uh you know the franchise conference because we're franchisees i'm not not that's sure right. that's, <laughs> that's right that's right that's right that's right we'll be in the back waving at you patty like, yeah i mean you know we might be you know on the franchise advisory council or something yeah you know. and you'll be like i knew frios when that's right that's right. <laughs> those guys. That's right. <laughs> oh, that's so great. So great. Uh, well, we appreciate your time today, Patty. Thank you so much for making the time for us. And of course. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. We really enjoyed it. And, and uh, you know, we can't wait to see what happens with the brand. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Cutting Onions podcast for that conversation with Patty Rother. Miles and I really enjoyed that. We hope you did as well. And we're able to glean some insights from her story and her journey through the restaurant industry into her role as Frios Gourmet Pops president. So thanks for joining us today. And please share this on your networks if you're finding the content helpful and inspiring. We would love to get the word out about the Cutting Onions podcast and be able to share with as many people as possible. This is a labor of love for us and I would love nothing more than to be able to make an impact in other people's lives and help their leadership journey. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you back soon for another episode of the Cutting Names podcast. Thank you so much.